0: This week marks the second installment of my investigation of the dream in art. And in this final segment, I invited a painter, Melissa Capasso, who works heavily with visions and daydreams to come round out my exploration of the topic. Melissa creates oil and acrylic paintings and ink and charcoal drawings based on parenthood, vision and blindness, Catholic icons, and the Vanitas, all in a wavy, gestural style with vibrant, sunsetty color that she sees as functioning as a kind of visual novel. We spoke about her work and process, being a parent artist, handling life's trials and tribulations, and still finding a way to make work. Also, her family's deep roots in Cape Cod and how being flexible is the number one superpower for balancing art and life. Melissa is having a solo show at Gold Gallery this summer, July 30th through September 17th. For more information, please visit goldmontclair.com or at goldscopophilia on Instagram. You can find Melissa online at her website, melissacapasso.com or on Instagram melissa.capasso and as always all links will be in the show notes i can't wait to share our conversation with you be right back you are listening to pep talks for artists a podcast offering small words of encouragement to all those shuffling along the artist's road I'm your host, Amy Toludo. Welcome to Pep Talks, Mosa. So happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. So I just want to just jump right in, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you form whole compositions in your mind by entering into a sort of intentional daydream as you're walking. Could you tell me more about that process? And, and you even have a painting called The Dreamer. So if you wouldn't mind just telling me about your process of forming images.
1: So basically, it's it's kind of a um, hard thing to explain because it sounds so crazy, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I don't work from any type of source material or I don't look at anything while I'm working in my studio. So I, I take these really, really long walks. I'm a... A walker in general, like I, I need to walk um, every day, and you know I lived in New York for 25 years, so walking was part of my my whole being. And now that I've moved, um, I'm still doing a lot of walks. And my family's from Cape Cod too, so that's where I get like all these types of environments and energies and um, like weather and all these things that kind of help me think of um, this it's sort of like I'm writing um, a novel. And so I'm developing certain characters or developing certain stories or certain environments in effort to make this novel kind of move forward. And it's been going on and on for for many, many years. Um, And so it's in my mind, it's completely built in my mind that it's this story that I just kind of continuously talk about in my head on my walks. And uh it's sort of like daydreaming, like when you're a kid, you know you just everyone has this aspect, I think, and I don't know if everyone does it, but I certainly do it. I'm a huge daydreamer, and it really helps my studio practice and me develop like these compositions i I don't really plan the compositions beforehand. I just kind of come in with like a certain tone or or a mood that I'm. Itching at and um, something that like kind of bothering me, like something that I have to spit out, and and then that that's like basically how I work.
0: And then could you talk a bit about your your painting called The Dreamer? It's it's like a green background, and there's sort of a luminous head. Um, leaning back in ecstasy and and there just seems to be um, like a constellation of stars or something above her head. And would you mind talking about that, that painting in
1: particular? So that was during a time when I was making these portraits of, I was making these portraits, sort of these healers that I needed to see in my mind's eye. And so each one of these there's a series of them, so, and each one of these heads, these uh, portraits, they each had like special properties. and they also always seem to have like this little bit of energy, dark energy to them. And with that one specifically, it it had to do with like mortality and being made of stardust and um, and how we're here from. The cosmos in a lot of ways, and we're made up of this this energy that doesn't die. And so, you know mortality is kind of like you have a, a due date, and it it's kind of like a discussion of of that idea of uh, everlasting life. And um, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> It's So interesting. So kind
0: of like we, the cycle, the cycle, the grand cycle of things and that we yeah. never really go away. Cause we just form into something else.
1: Yeah. I'm always talking about that in my work, like always. So um, I'm always figuring out different, different ways to say that.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. And, yeah. and, and then um, maybe it'd be good to segue to some of the imagery that you use in your work. Sure. Um, so I, you know, There seems in your painting specifically, there are like heads emerging from water or um, Madonna and child kind of riff, uh, riffing on that sort of idea. And even a painting of St. Lucia, who is the patron saint of the blind. And, you know, it's this art history um, in art history there's all these paintings of her like holding a golden plate with some eyeballs yes, like eyeballs. bobbling on them or like
1: my favorite a, or
0: like a bl- a branch with two eyeballs going on <laughs> and in one of your paintings it's it's just sort of a riff or it quotes a little bit of that idea of Saint Lucia and your style is very loose and wavy and um, vibrant colors and I was just I always ask these really rambling questions. And the person's like, wait, what are you asking? (laughs) My question is, would you mind talking about how you, like why you're choosing the imagery, for example, heads, water, Madonna, child, St. Lucia?
1: Yeah, well, all those things, you know, everything that I choose in my work is very, very, it ends up being very emblematic of what I'm trying to say. And I I find that I, I really don't, like I'm pretty direct in a lot of my, work and its meaning and I don't really I'm not I don't think I like beat around the bush at all and so like with the Madonna and Child and with the Saint Lucia or Lucia that all had to do with my well my being a mother for sure and it's always about it's always about that um because I can only speak for myself and my position on this world or earth and my daughter so my my youngest daughter went blind or in she went blind in one eye um so a lot of that imagery is connected with um blindness and vision and um caretaking to a certain degree and she um, was she was just one years old right? yeah she was and I mean, I guess like my personal story is so like intense during this, this time of work, because also my mother was really sick. Mm. And so I was like in the hospital with my mom. And like, at one point they like told me she was going to die, like right then and there. And so like, I had experienced all this feeling of like death, rebirth and, Mm. and pain and, and so I was like fairly traumatized.
0: So well, I like, heavy stuff, heavy stuff. For sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I like I had to make something that would just like kind of be an encasement or like um, like a, a ready-made image where I could just pour because my feelings were so intense that I felt like if I had made up my own imagery, it probably would. I didn't, you know, like I cared so much about it was like purely about my love and care so I just needed something that was already already formed to Mm -hmm. like kind of like a cipher like a yeah of some sort yeah yeah to like exchange a a specific conversation with as like a form of therapy for myself and so Saint Lucia is the uh, patron saint of sight And, um, the mother and child was just like a place for me to kind of console myself because my mother was so sick. So I was a child at times. And then there were other times where I was a mother taking care of my youngest, or it's sometimes I have a 12 year old too. So taking care of her or even my husband, you know, like, so it just became (laughs) like that empty void to just go, all right, like, and I kept doing it over and over again to kind of see where I was in this process like to understand how I was like kind of processing everything and then from there everything kind of springed off of it you know I began to leave that direct image and then move into something a little bit more nuanced because I I think I felt like I was ready to to start tackling that visually. And
0: and when you say you're moving into something new what what um, kind of work are you making now in your
1: studio? So I'm making, I'm still like really thinking about the feminine divine and I'm, I'm trying to figure out certain ways to discuss her where she's not, I'm always looking for different ways to kind of subvert the ideal image of her and kind of fill her out a little bit more yeah. and give her some body and, and like experience and soul, I guess, and kind of talk about all the different aspects of her. So um, it feels like in this body of work, which is still very like fragile, it's a bunch of charcoal drawings that I'm doing that are all 20 by 25 on watercolor paper, and it feels like they're so I'm I'm trying to understand what I'm saying in them still, but it, it feels like they're like they own themselves so much and they own to the point of humor almost, um, to the point of characterization, but like they're past laughing. They're they're sort of they have this humor that's aged and wise, but also kind of erotic and sexy and deceitful at times. And I'm trying to work with those kind of more darker shades of personality that are still really worth investigating and kind of incorporating those feelings into my work and who, who the, or what the feminine divine kind of encompasses within that. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I relate
1: to what you're saying.
0: Like I've also had in my past, like with having a baby, having a parent dying at the same time. And it's Mm. a very strange situation where you're transforming yourself and like switching back and forth in different roles. And I can only imagine also having a 12 year old and then blindness and imagining that you are, yeah, you're just switching all the time. You're never like one single entity. And so it's very interesting wow. to see that revealed in your work, that kind of exploration of all your different transformed kind of identities. And and I, and also brings to mind sometimes like there's a painting of yours that has a triangle of light illuminating a purple head. And that purple head has like a double face. The painting is called Just a Spark. And the triangle itself is very rooted in like we just did this review of the spiritual and art abstract painting. And so Mandy and I learned all about the triangle and how it's like a three-point kind of symbol of the holy or the divine. Yeah. Especially if it's pointing up. And yeah. um it's interesting to see this sort of or sometimes it calls to mind. I'm really obsessed with Agnes Pelton and the the mm-hmm. transcendentalist painting movement, yeah. which included also um Florence Miller Pierce. And sometimes I think like in the more abstract works that you have, like for example, love after love, it it feels like it could fit into that movement, you know, in a way like it, or at least it takes on the mantle of that movement and brings it forward in an interesting way. So I'm very interested in your idea of the, of the feminine divine in that context. Well, I think ultimately
1: it goes back to this novel writing (laughs) Right, the, the
0: mental novel, or is it a real yeah. novel? Is
1: it a real novel? I don't think so. It's a, I mean, it's maybe a painting like, novel. It's a painting novel, exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And and so it kind of goes back to how I define, I guess the divine, you know, I I, I guess that's the only word I'd be comfortable using, but in, in my pretend fake painting novel, um, <laughs> at some point when I go back to mother and child, I start looking at Jesus and I'm looking at a lot of Renaissance art. Yeah. yeah, Riffing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking about all these qualities of uh, Catholicism, which connects with like my background. I wanted Um, to ask you
0: about that because I also had a Catholic background. And so I was reading it loud and clear. I was like, "Yeah, right." Because the Catholic religion is so weird. Like it's like there's really strange. There's like decapitated (laughs) heads and glass boxes, like displayed at a church. And there's there's this guy. I don't know if you've seen it, but on TikTok, there's this guy named the Greedy Peasant. Mm -mm. (laughs) He Mm -mm. does Mm -mm. these videos where he animates reliquaries. Where a reliquary, if you're not uh, brought up in the Catholic Church, it's like they're like little, um, elaborate golden houses for bits of the saints' bodies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like their finger, but but like the listener, but like I've obviously you probably know, but like the listener might not know, but like, so it might be like a fingernail of the saint (laughs) is in this like golden figurine. And so he animates them and they're all talking. And so it's just sort of this dark humor because the Catholic legacy of painting or the marauding popes and all this sort of thing is very dark, very, yeah. very dark and <laughs> macabre. And so yeah. um, it seems to be very fitting to like use some of that imagery
1: <laughs> in some of the things you're yeah, exploring. For sure. And so I was very attracted to that and I've always been. And it also brings up all these feelings about like, I'm always trying to define the nature of belief. And that is like one of my, my topics of exploration. And so with that painting specifically, um, I kind of settle in to this idea that it's feminine, but it's not, it's not just feminine. It's, you know, this yin yang of of everything. Um, it's not binary. It's it, but it feels as though it's it's has like a deep connection to what the feminine word would describe. And then I kind of relay its synergy, um, how I loved in in these paintings how like you would deal with imagery that was very direct and then it would go super abstract. Yeah. And I think that's my connection with like the transcendentalists in some mm-hmm. way. And so, like, I love that play that I was able to do that in two different ways on the same picture plane and make it also quote unquote believable. Yeah. So it was like, it was like this very meta. You know, these are very meta paintings, I think. I mean, for lack of a, that is a stupid word, but like <laughs> it is, it's just like built on top of each other, you know, so there's all this discussion about what painting is and then what is yes. belief and then the symbols and and then the landscape and then the abstraction.
0: Yeah, there's so much there. Like there's a painting, Double Vision that you have. So it's a Madonna, but she's got two faces. Mm-hmm. And then she's got two children kind of with halos in her lap. And then there's a peacock and a, an animal in the foreground. It might be like a wolf or you're not yeah. really sure. Um, there's birds and it's kind of this orange and pink kind of sunsetty color scheme. And so you're, you are taking these sort of tropes of art history or Catholicism, mm-hmm. but they're, you're kind of morphing them into like this transcendental realm um, beyond yeah. religion yeah. in an interesting way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that I, I also started to get into Etruscan art. So like I was, I just started getting into like how these symbols started to just mesh together. And like before Catholicism, you know, there was all these different religions. And then this with the spread of Christianity, they would like go back into like these spiritual houses or institutions or places and just on top of like the Sheila and the gig would put a Madonna and child, like literally like back to back. Yeah. And it was like, they didn't bother to remove the old. (laughs) Right. Just in case you wanted that option. (laughs) Right. But then they were like, by the way, this is a better product. And like, then they'd have (laughs) the Madonna and child. So I just felt like that was a very interesting idea. And then even with like the animals that you see in Catholicism, you're like, obviously this has been going on for a very long time, this visual language And so I really like taking like these anomalies and putting them there because it happened. It truly happened in some Mm -hmm. of these depictions that we value and consider part of our culture and consider, you know, what the meaning of life is in essence. And so I really like that joke kind of. and, And I also like painting it, you know, it's fun. Yeah, I was
0: watching this documentary about early Christian cults and that they were kind of abutting against the Roman beliefs and the Greek beliefs, obviously. So in order to like make people more seduced into the cult, they would like, they had to invent a Mary because they invented, because they needed a goddess, right? because people were so comfortable with goddesses and gods. And so to have a single God, they needed a goddess. And it's all just so, I don't know, interesting when you unpack it all or the way or the corruption of the popes and all that sort of thing. It's, it's a, it's very fascinating and you're right. It all forms these like hard truths that we all believe are the meaning of life. But then if you peel back the cover a little bit, you're like, (laughs) like,
1: wait a minute, (laughs) it's a bit or it's just a very human endeavor. Oh, so human. And (laughs) (laughs) That is why I love it. That is why I talk to my friends about brutalist architecture, and I'm like, I love it so much. It's so wrong and so (laughs) right, right, but yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So speaking of your your drawings, I love in particular. Well, I love your drawings. They are, like you said, they're about 18 by 24 in size generally. They're made of charcoal, which is a medium I'm terrified of. So I'd love to hear more. <laughs> and they're also like, they have very packed, dense compositions. So the, it's like a figure kind of contained by the rectangle, oftentimes mother and child. But, but there's these, these very expressive, emotionally heightened works. But there are two drawings that I really loved, Handheld and Protect the Fire. And in Handheld it has almost like a, a cubist composition of a mother and a child bound by the frame as, you know, as usual in the drawings. And in the, in the scene, the mother, the parent is holding a, a baby and from her eyes are pouring these white kind of beams of light going into the child's eyes. And then, in, in protect the fire, it's a single figure And it's also crouching and contained in the frame and under his or her or their head is a levitating eye and it sits above a white flame in the center of the figure. And I just was wondering if you could talk a bit about those two drawings.
1: Yeah, well, they were, they were definitely more about. I think society at large, like it wasn't, it wasn't really autobiographical and it it was, it always has a connection to, you know, my experience as a person, but it was actually a little bit more amplified and concern of, I mean, that, and in my drawings a lot talk about just kind of the stress of, you know, making sure that your your energy is as bright and beautiful as you can be for this child who is growing up in in this world and also they contain like the essence they contain the beauty and and all the good amazing things of life and so you have to you have to also protect them so it's that exchange of energies and kind of a and I think both those drawings allude to this private intimate exchange of mother and child that large, I think, and, and maybe indicating too, like, there's a lot right now going on and that, that like having to have faith in that energy between the mother and child to kind of continue because that really is the only option. Um, yeah. So so it's like about that, and yeah.
0: And then the one that's called "Protect the Fire," it's actually not like a child and parent. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking with that piece?
1: Oh, I totally see a, a child and parent with that piece. That that thing that she's kind of wrapping herself around is the child. It's it's this flame. She the sometimes my my bodies just drift or hi, they hybrid themselves into a landscape or some kind of abstraction, um, because when it's a better version to talk about in that scenario or more poetic, I I'll take it. So I really do think, I, I mean, I really feel as though that body is holding a child very much. And and that describes that child and how she sees, how she sees that child.
0: Interesting. That's so interesting. Um, Thank you for that. It, it yeah. reminded me for, for, you know, because I've been obsessed with um, the Agnes Pelton's journal about her silver baby, you know, mm-hmm. and I did a yeah. podcast about it. And the silver baby was like this interior spirit that she where she made her real work from. Yeah. And, um, when I saw that piece, I just thought it reminded me of that spirit of like protecting your silver baby, but it's, it was, it was meant to be a baby. So it worked out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's just my own, my own stuff, but, um, okay. So I wanted to talk a bit about like why you choose charcoal, because I think of charcoal as so like, it scares me because it's so primal. <laughs>
1: Mm, a little so primal
0: <laughs> and like brutal and emotional and I'm scared of it. And so I just wanted to talk to you or let you talk a little bit about why you choose charcoal.
1: Yeah. Well, um, that's really weird. I, so I always drew, uh, you know, as a kid and I drew a lot. So I think drawing is, it's like, you were I don't like wanna- a drawing kid. Oh, I was a drawing kid for sure. Um, And so I can remember like being in high school and getting my hands on some charcoal and just being like, uh, like it really connected with me. Like I'm never going back, this is it. (laughs) Yeah, I I just loved it. And I, I now really don't enjoy drawing with pencils, at least right now I don't. But anyway- I took a drawing class in grad school with, uh, I was in grad school at Brooklyn College and I took a drawing class with Colleen Asper. And she was just like, get some charcoal and get some paper and like sit at this desk for like three and a half hours and see what comes up. And I was like, this is the most primitive. So like automatic, almost like surrealist, like automatic drawing or. She would like, well, she told the class like, bring in source material and and this and that, but I don't work from source material. So like I just came into the class and like sat at, like, we didn't even have easels or anything. We just had a desk and we just sat at this desk and, and I had no source material. And so I just started driving into the paper and just kind of being like, all right, I'm just going to throw it, you know, like, let's see where this goes. And I basically like made one I just made a drawing that day it was like of a light bulb lighting up a pile of wood hmm. and I was like "Meta!" like I love the metaphor yeah, yeah I love the metaphor yeah and I love the way it was drawn I love that I could get textures and patterns and light and and joke and I loved touching the paper and I really didn't understand how I came up with that image but I just kept you know, drawing and erasing, drawing and erasing, drawing and erasing. And um, I loved how my brain was like kind of taking over and I was allowing it to kind of drive the car. And so like, I was just like, okay, like, let's keep doing this. So I took a whole class with her and I just made these drawings. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And while I'm drawing, I can't really paint. That's the problem. So it's like two different mindset two separate ecosystems yeah and it's tragic I mean I really bemoan the fact like when I start drawing but it also has like a different use for me so my charcoal drawings are basically the prototypes of whatever the paintings will back up in color
0: so they under they, they kind of build a foundation for that for the paintings
1: yeah they give me this like I'm comfortable in the tone, basically. Like I get comfortable in the narrative. I get comfortable in the tone. I get comfortable with the imagery. Um, my imagery always like has something that's a little I don't want to say combative, but it doesn't go down easy or something like that. And that is not something that I try to do. It just comes out in the work. And so I myself, I'm trying to get comfortable with what I'm trying to say. and yeah like, you know, so like the drawings really kind of bring me into that space mentally and and let me kind of explore it and then and then I'll do some paintings that kind of are usually they're not on topic I mean I wish they were more closer together (laughs) yeah but like they they explain it in color somehow in my mind
0: (laughs) well I relate to that so much because I'm the same way like I do drawing and I do painting and never the twain shall meet and it's Sometimes I get so frustrated and I'd say, Well, I'm not doing one, I'm not going to do the other. But it turned out to be this, they needed each other. It was like a yin yang. So, in a way, like working in one Mm -hmm. medium, you explore it till the very end, and then you're so exhausted in it that it feels refreshing and wonderful to move to the next medium. But if you didn't have that feeling of being exhausted and tempted by the green grass (laughs) of the new medium, then you would just, you wouldn't have that like joy in working, you kind of need them both, you know, and even if they don't necessarily match, it was essential to have both going. So
1: I relate to what you're saying so much. I know I, I'm not in terms of my materials, monogamous.
0: <laughs> no, I've, I've become even less. So I'm like a, I'm like the sister wives show. Now I've got like, I've got like eight wives now.
1: <laughs> totally, um, I've got
0: but yeah so you're kind of saying that you it's almost like the charcoal is your first contact and so you're working out a lot of emotional ideas and then it kind of gets distilled or transformed into different a different plane for the painting in a way.
1: Uh yeah, I I, I think so. It it's, it's I don't want to I I do like kind of hesitate to explain or to say that my work I feel I, a lot of people talk about the emotional aspects of it, um, and I guess like I have like more of a like, well, this is how the narrative's going to go, and, and this is how like some of these images or some of this dangerous territory of this story is going to be relayed in charcoal, because that's the way the story has to be told in in that section. I I really don't. I feel like sometimes people think that I'm doing this as like a therapy or, or something like that. And I, I really do feel like it's a little bit, it's definitely more about the story and the storytelling and the depiction in its material than it is not. I okay, guess so that's what yeah, I
0: Yeah, I don't see them as art therapy in the least. I find them oh, okay very... And also I, I see what you're saying too. Cause like, I, you know, sometimes women at women artists in, in yes. the past, they, they get kind of put in this box of like the emotional painter yes. and and the men get to be sort of this intellectual conceptual person and the women right. are all about their, you know, primitive emotion, like a cave woman or whatever. And I get right. like, I get like being conscious of that, not wanting to be not wanting that context for your work. But I think you know, it's also important to put forth these feelings of parenthood, et cetera, out into the world because it's not really been done by women. Like it's mostly men portraying women or idealized women holding babies. And it's, it's a great evening out to see more representations, I think,
1: by women of women. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think the primal role for women in a lot of the painting that I was fed was like and it was by a man and then there would be a woman in there and she was the emotional content she was the expressive element in the painting and then we were supposed to look at the rest of the painting as like this formal genius
0: yeah for and sure. like
1: that the role the role of the woman was like to show that the painter had some soul or some idea of expressive I you know an emotional plane that the painting worked on and I really freaking hate that of course and- yeah so, yeah, I'm trying to kind of reverse that in yeah. a lot of ways.
0: And I mean, going back to your, your drawings, I mean, you have the vanitas or skulls within. I yeah. mean, there's, you've got so many amazing levels of your work. So there's the vanitas, which it's emotional, but it's also part of art history. You know, mm-hmm. this idea yeah. of like, I, I think I was, I was casually skimming. So, you know, don't quote me. <laughs> but i was casually skimming like the vanitas in uh dutch painting and they were saying mm. that you know the society was so moral that they really didn't want to see like any kind of expressions of like gross expressions of wealth i mean they did eventually but at that time and so they would kind of put all these luxury goods that they collected from all their trades and merchant uh merchant businessing and then they would throw a skull in there <laughs> like, but we're all going to die, right? So we can't take it with us, right? Right, guys, wink, wink, it's all good. And they would, like, use the skull to, like, excuse the excess. And um, so the skull itself isn't just, it's got so many layers of how it's been used. And there's also that famous painting, The Ambassadors, where the skull is kind of tweaked and askew, and you have to look at it from the right to see the actual, the way the painter intended you to see. It's like a trick of the eye. So anyway, I was, this is again, another long-winded question. Would you mind talking about your use of the skull in
1: your drawings? Yeah, sure. Um, the skull is, so like, I do think once I became a mother I felt very much on the conveyor belt of mortality in ways that I had no idea existed um and so I was like holy shit like (laughs) you know like I created this this thing that is alive and previously other women created people till me
0: right and so
1: like I was like holy like that to me just became very clear and so the skull always represents that kind of back and forth in time and that a kind of window to an anti-reality in some sense like yes it's very very real but it's also like this passage way of dealing with time and and mortality and so like i'm always kind of opening that door in my painting um and it also of course talks about like a lot of the tragedy of the last <laughs> we've been living yeah, time. like a waking I don't, I don't nightmare. Know, <laughs> basically, forever. Right? Like it's been too long now to even talk about. But yeah. like, so you know, it it always emotionally pings me on that level because there's usually, sadly and unfortunately, some tone that I'm dealing with that I I feel sorrow and I'm grieving and whatever whatever utopian idea I had about life and culture is very different from the one I'm living in some Mm -hmm. sense so like I'm I'm always dealing with that and then you know you throw children in the mix of that and you're kind of like oh Um, and then art history wise yeah it's connected all over the place so I love that tie back into how it will suddenly be thrown into a still life or like you said in Dutch painting or like in the Renaissance like how they're always talking about like if you don't pray you're gonna and you don't go to church, you're going to die, and you're going to go to hell, and this and all. So I love all of that. So what's not, I mean, come on. But yeah, I do feel like at times it's overused. So I then I try to put it away for a little while.
0: <laughs> I think I you mean, use it in a cool way. I mean, and also, like, <laughs> you're so right. Like, in the Catholic religion, it's like, if you don't go to church, you're as bad as, you basically, mortally you mortally sinned, and you yeah. as bad as a murderer. You're going it's, to hell, it's man. Like, so there's so much like, you know, you're doomed all the time. You can't. But yeah, in this day and age, how could you not paint a skull?
1: <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I think all artists are basically obsessed with death. And that's why we're artists. Um, that I think is like the root. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, I. I do think so.
0: Like, you're obsessed, at least. I was just listening to a great interview with my current art crush, Betty Woodman. Mm, um, I
1: love her so much.
0: And she was, you know, older in the, on this, she was on a stage being interviewed and she was very much considering what will happen after her death. Like, I think artists are on a quest for immortality. You know, it's like a writer would be that you, some part of
1: you, can carry on in the society after you're gone. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I have it more like I made a mark. What does that mark mean? Or I feel like every time you make art, you touch something and you're just kind of like you get in this tit for tat kind of experience of what is, what does this mean? Why am I doing this? And like, you're going back and forth. And I love that kind of like, I exist, I exist, I exist Mm. kind of meditation. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's so super attractive. I Um, love that. Yeah. I love
0: that. I really love that. Okay, so I wanted to ask you if if the pandemic changed your work. If you feel like the pandemic changed your, I know I know it's a silly <laughs> question because of course you're going to say hell yes. But I just wanted to, uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to, I want to hear how it changed your work. <laughs> mm. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> yes, the pandemic changed my work. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I had a baby and then four months later, the pandemic happened and good times, good times. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, like I went back to work at three months when I had her and then by month four, I suddenly was in lockdown with my, my baby and my husband was there and everybody was home all over again. Um, and we took off. I had just, also come off the crest of of having really bad pneumonia right before I was pregnant oh. so i was not into it so we <laughs> and i had this child and my mom was kind of sick so we ended up going up to Cape Cod and that's where i was and so the work changed because because i was in nature because i was i was moved from an urban environment to a very rural marine type environment it was the dark winter still up at the Cape. And I was there for, for almost the entire time. I went back, I guess, I guess I went back when school started to become an option for in-person. I went back to Brooklyn. Is your family, um, is your family like an old Cape family? uh, Yeah. So my, my family is from the Cape from the time that they, they first came down from like, they went from Scotland to Prince Edward Island. Then they came down to the Cape or they came down to Boston and then from Boston, they were, it's a matriarchal family and they're nurses and they were taking a train out to Truro to take care of patients mm-hmm. who needed seaside air. And they, mm. my great, great grandmother bought like a ton of land out there and wow. then raised her, her families, you know. Mm. So I, I have this deep sense of like yeah. conveyor belts, mortality kind of built in just from, Having like a home there, and, and yeah, of such being, history. Yeah. So, and I get visited by their lovely ghosts, and um, <laughs> I have an ongoing conversation with my dead ancestors up there. In some sense, so like that's definitely influential in in my work and in the seaside kind of scapes, and it being like kind of so connected. much water too. Like there's a lot of water in your work. Yeah, yeah. So um it it has that personal thing. Um what was it? Oh and, oh, and we're talking so- about the pandemic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back uh, to the
0: gloom so- and doom. Let's get off this lovely topic of the <laughs> cape.
1: So then, but I was like breastfeed, you know, I was like kind of in the middle of like trying to raise this baby and there's no food on the shelves in the grocery store. You go in the grocery store, there's nothing there. I was in the middle of nowhere. The, I mean, like I hate to say the Cape is middle of nowhere, but it's <laughs> like at times the wind is blowing, and you're like hoping the roof stays on your house and all that. Yeah, I'm so, sure. like you're like cool, and and the world seems to be just completely on fire. So it it changed. I mean, I think I was always dealing with certain prototypes in my work and certain themes always. But then it kind of added a layer of macabre, unfortunately, I think that became way more it had more of a direct presence and and then it became way more spiritual, like way more spiritual. And the direction of how I was talking about spiritual wasn't just for my own sake and like saving me. It was kind of talking about how America or how how i foresee us accepting spiritual elements in our daily life because we were at that point where that was becoming very necessary in order to get through some of this information that we were taking in and the stresses that we were taking in. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like started to look into psychedelic stuff a little bit more, from that perspective, as well as like, oh, I think an entry point for a lot of people is doing ayahuasca and like going to the desert. And that's really interesting. And that's how they're doing it. And then there's your Christian right, who are, you know, really into religion. And then there's people coming to my studio and kind of talking to me about what their definition of God is. And like, I just thought the conversation just got more into that element Mm, in, in general. And I was like, it was very soothing for me in a lot of ways to kind of explore these different avenues that people were going through in their lives because we're all like Zooming and uh, I have Marco Polo on my phone where you can kind of video chat and like all this stuff. And like, but our conversations are getting like pretty direct and interesting on a spiritual level. And for, I think for Americans, that's really not, the way we're programmed in a lot of ways. No. So, uh, I was like a really interesting cuz I've always been this person but it was really interesting to see my friends kind of start to open up in that way that I wouldn't consider like that. And and I felt like I was reading it across the board like it, there was a buzz about that that was really a good conversation to have.
0: Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. You're right that like the you know, especially New York artists, (laughs) like you're all hanging out at a bar. The last thing you're talking about is (laughs) is like God and the spiritual realm, but you're right. The
1: conversation started during the the lockdown. And it's such an imaginary place. I mean, and so like, basically when you get down to it, you listen to everybody and everybody has a way different take on it after, as you start to have that conversation. And I, I love that my work was bringing those conversations into my studio. Um, I loved listening to people and hearing what their story was. It was, it was like seeing my friends from a completely different light. And I truly, it was like a way for me to like, kind of push out my love at the same time it was a way for me to like feel love um Mm -hmm. just from like making the studio kind of like an active space of that so yeah
0: and then you recently moved or maybe not recently but within the last couple years you moved you moved out of Brooklyn and and then um and are you living in upstate New York Um, or would you call it would you call it
1: we're not gonna say Westchester
0: Right, well, in on the cusp of the Hudson Valley, area, exactly. <laughs> how, how, how have you, um, what's it
1: like leaving the city? What has your experience mm. been? So, I've only been, I've only, I moved in September, but I was in Brooklyn, but I was, I've been at the Cape. I traveled to the Cape like all the time, so mm. I'm always there too and have been there since the pandemic, but uh, yeah, we moved into this house. It's in South Salem, and so it's it's. We moved into this area where, like, literally, I don't see a car go past my house ever. so really um, rural. It's weird. It's it's weird. Yeah, I I describe it as rural. My friends are like, you're in the suburbs. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, but there's no cars. I'm like, I sit here and listen to my heartbeat all day. Like, what are you talking about? So yeah, it's it's rural, and I've been having a really hard time transitioning. Um, but I've been doing okay with it because there's just so much nature and I love nature. I've been making a lot of adjustments though. Like the colors to me are not like when we moved here, I was just like, I don't, I'm not into these colors. It's all green.
0: It's just green. It's so green. Yeah. The only, like, it's, it's very overwhelming and it gets very jungly green too. And it's just nothing but green green bars like,
1: everywhere.
0: <laughs> one is so, one is one inner spiritual eye to add color. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm adjusting. I do, I do really like it. I think it's giving me a lot of focus. And I I've started to notice that I can tell when my level, like my stress level is high now. Whereas when I was in New York, I would be like way stressed out and have no idea. Cause my yeah. coping mechanisms were like, so like, uh, 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 is, and here it's just like, I can sense it right away. And i just kind of like back off from whatever I'm doing. So it it has been a good thing for me. Yeah. I do feel
0: like I moved up state 12 years ago from the city and mm-hmm. it was, you know, you all of a sudden you're aware of things uh, in nature that you really weren't aware of. Like now I know there's like ladybug season and stink bug season and I yeah. see the geese yeah. flying away in fall, and I yell "traitors," <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then they come back. Or like I know which birds stay in the winter time and which go away and yeah. which come back. And you just have these awareness of seasons and things. You you hear the frogs are the first sign of spring. And I was uh, touring this Amish or not Amish Shaker Shaker Village, excuse me, Hancock mm-hmm. Shaker Village in Massachusetts, and they had a little journal reprinted. And it was like a workbook of what they did and it was like herd frogs (laughs) and then the next line was like so begin the work and (laughs) and you so you feel this sort of kinship through time with people because you are more like all in nature versus being separated in a city where you're kind of cut off a little bit from all that sort of thing you know, cause you see totally. some, so much man-made stuff. So there was like, to your point of the Cape Cod history, the feeling of continuing this long line of women. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have roots here, but it just has this feeling of like, Hey, shakers. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I also heard the frogs and I knew it was on, it was springtime, baby, you know? So, um, yeah, it's a cool, but, but there is an isolation factor mm-hmm. and it takes mm-hmm. a lot. It takes a few years at least to try to find a community and find other artists and then once you've got that you're all right but um, there's that murky time when you do feel utterly alone it's like that first year of everything being novel and fun and then the second year is when it tests it tests oh, the really? metal the second year oh, tests the metal of us and then if Shoot. you can get through that you're okay
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I I think like it was a I really do feel like with the pandemic, a lot of people made big decisions during that time, like to cut off that period of time, because it was so free fall for everybody. And like in in so many ways, you know, like economically and like just physically what was happening to you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and just like what you saw in the world and with the BLM movement, and it was like pouring down and it is, it's raining. Still, changes. Yeah. And in order to process it, a lot of people made really big decisions that were, for me in New York, ultimately it became like a point where I just couldn't afford to live there anymore.
0: It's hard you know? as an artist. So you have to work so many jobs. So you don't have time to make your work because you, yeah. like,
1: you had your studio rent or some people have worked at home. Oh my, yeah. I had a studio and it, the rent was just, it, it was, was crazy. You I was constantly moving. Yeah. So moving. you know, a lot
0: of people solve that by working in their homes, which is really smart, but you end up just, it's just hard to get by there in terms of like, making rent. Like it's that's just so difficult. So not to say that there's it's not a great place to be and live, but it's
1: a lot le- a little extra layer of pressure um to try to make bank. Totally. And I I mean I love New York so much. So now yeah. basically I I go down there and then I'm supposed to get on the train and go home and I'm always confused about Yeah,
0: because it, it feels like, like home. It's feeling really like home talking about I'm having my coffee. Like I don't exactly I felt the same way, like I went down Friday and I was like, I'm home finally, ah, home at last. And then I was like, do, 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 and then I was like, oh crap, I gotta catch a bus somewhere else.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Am I not actually home?
0: I seriously like
1: come back on the train, like holding a bodega bouquet (laughs) and a bodega plant. And I'm like, wait a minute, I can't do this where I live.
0: It's like hours away, you can't take anything. i know or like, like a box of donuts that
1: i found like all yeah. oh, this donut place is amazing there so like i'm like what am i doing i have all this dietritis diatritus, um, i always say that word wrong. i like the word detritus as
0: well yeah really like. <laughs> um and so i wanted to just ask you because it's pep talks and a lot of our listeners are parents a parent artist trying to fit both in and so i just wanted to ask you like you have a 12 year old and a toddler. How do you make time for your work
1: or what's your strategy, your personal strategy? Yeah, it's, well, unfortunately, I, I think maybe not unfortunately, I think all the cons of being a parent artist are actually huge pros, but it takes some reorienting and flexibility to kind of make it so that the wind's at your back and not against you, because you can kind of, Easily take that position and be like, this is not working. And and yes, it's extremely frustrating and nerve-wracking. And, and at times you're gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> there will be <gasps> crying. <laughs> um, but I think that all the cons of being a parent and being an artist are like major pros. So I think that you know, you're you're around a creative home and you're around these beautiful beings that are they have you know uh you just get like all this information from them that you would never be able to call anywhere else and and so they're sources of of real insight and beauty that you're around all the time and and to me that is just like a huge benefit but in terms of making your own work and having the time to do it you have to kind of be flexible um and everyone tells you to do that but like for me I'm not a morning person but there was a time where I you know whatever you think you are <laughs> think, again. think again baby exactly. think again baby <laughs> so you know I think that's generally like the, the helpful advice I'd give you is like All right, so, you know, before I had my first one, I was an oil painter and I would spend money and time mixing oil paint endlessly and making these gigantic paintings and blah, blah, blah. And then I had her and I was like, wow, like I am never getting to this again. I'm never getting to this slow process. I'm never getting to like this technique again. Like, and I honestly didn't go back to that. I kind of got used to reinventing myself. So in a way like you, you had this long considered craft Mm -hmm. and
0: you felt like temporarily, I can't make this stuff with a little baby in the house or like having to care for, I don't have the time to put into this. So you kind of adapted by making more like quicker work. And in the process of that, it took you somewhere new. So you didn't really feel the urge to return to the old stuff. Is that- that say. is
1: perfectly oh, okay. articulated.
0: <laughs> good. Yeah. got stuff for me.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, so like I moved to ink basically is what happened. And I moved my timeline. So I got up at five in the morning and my deal was during that time was to make one ink a day. And as you can hear my kids yeah. screaming through <laughs> the door. It's so appropriate. <laughs> and so like I would get up at five o'clock in the morning, make one work. And I like i I'm not a morning person at all. I am not a morning person, but I was actually asleep when I was making this work. I was extremely tired, and I would just kind of open my eyes and make this ink. and it was so great because I couldn't argue with myself. I was just like, you know, I was super inked out. like it was great. And so I kind of turned that energy into something. And I feel like when my daughter had her eye operation, everything. I like just take that anxiety and I kind of accept it and kind of just use it. You know, I choose a medium or a material and I I just go into it and use that energy as, as its creation. Okay. So
0: you would wake up at five and then how long would it take you to make an ink? Would it be like an hour or 30 minutes, just a quick,
1: like a little snatched back time? I was, I always talk about, my creation story, in some sense, because like I do think that I really became an artist when I had my kid, like that is what my first one is when I really like went heavy into the idea of this idea of like you know I didn't want to be that mother who was going to yell at my child and say I could have been x, y and z yeah, yeah, I was very fearful of that, and I had been toying with art and making art and doing shows, but I always didn't want to fail at it. So I was like, always had like more of a career idea of what I was thinking I was going to do in my life to make money and da da da. But then I really stepped in like full throttle after my daughter was born because I was just like, what am I going to fail at? Like, Mm -hmm. that's my question. And I was really like, I have to show her how to live your life and how to fail and how to feel like intentional and, and I wanted to incorporate all those active things within her viewing space. And so that's when I, I was part of Brooklyn, what was it called then? It was Brooklyn Artist Gym. And then it turned into Oh yeah. It was in Guanas. And so I had a locker. I couldn't afford a studio. I did live kind of close there. So I would like get up at five or like 445, something like that. Get up. You had 24 access, 24-hour 24 mm. access, walk there. And I had a locker. I would have, you know, at that time, nobody was there. So I could spread out on this big table by a window. And yeah, it was like a, the sun was coming up and I was kind of like making this one image of ink. And then I would put it away and walk home and mm-hmm. I would be home by 730. And like my husband had to go to work. Yeah, so yeah. I would. We would just switch roles. Yeah. And and I was exhausted. Yeah. You're probably getting <laughs> like four I hours mean, of sleep. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I mean at the same time, I was like building the body of work that I was gonna apply to grad school with. And so I had a goal. I did mm-hmm. have a long-term goal. And I had great, great friends who supported me and kept me in check. I think artists like went, accountability. Yeah, I had like all of that support. Like I didn't mm-hmm. have the $850 studio, but I had friends who were going to support me being maybe the artist freak that I thought I might be becoming. (laughs) And I had a desk and I had a locker and I had, you know, (laughs) technically I had some time, even though I didn't really enjoy it. And, and so that, that was like, really the dedication that I kind of put in and I Mm -hmm. put all my eggs in that one tiny basket and kind of work that way. And then when my second one came, it was like redux. Okay. (laughs) Like completely different story. I'm in a different place in my career. I'm in a different place with what I'm doing with my life. And I have a 12 year old, so they're 10 years apart. And I think with her, it's more, I do the weekends. I'm like pretty much, gone for the entire weekend um so my husband can take over and yeah. then i'm doing mornings and nights and i go and burst yeah. so my children actually know this and i feel like it's really interesting cuz Lucia kind of coaches the the little one on when i go in these critical moments with my my work i i would love to say all <laughs> you need is morning painting but at this place where i am i do go on like like random, like I'll be away for five days in my studio, just cranking. And Lucia kind of schools a little one on, on oh. like, all right, this is how it's going to go down for a little while. Like where she's not cooking dinner. She's not doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that speaks to your idea of the flexibility is king. Totally. And then I return, you know, and then once the thing is done and I've regurgitated as much as I possibly can, that needs to happen right at that time. Then I can come back and be a mom. As I say to Joe, I'm like, I'm here. I'm back in, yeah. back in business. It reminds kind of. Me,
0: <laughs> kind of. Kind of back in this. It reminds me of this Agatha Christie anecdote I heard that like she would write all her first mysteries at the dining room table, surrounded by all her kids and stuff. And they'd be like, oh gosh, mom's getting broody. Mom's getting broody. So you guys leave her alone. She's at the dining room table. And I just, yeah. I love that idea of moms getting broody because <laughs> broody can mean like grumpy, but it can also mean like a broody hen, like you're trying to hatch an egg. <laughs> There's
1: totally like a way that we work when I go into those dives. And, and I mean, to be honest, a month long residency is way worse at times. I just feel like those type of phone calls are really still pretty tough for me. Like I,
0: I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm scared to go to the month long. I I've done a two weeker. Yeah,
1: two weeks is
0: okay. It's like weird though. Cause you get going, right? As I know, but I, it's like emotionally I get so well, I, it's like I'm doing it to myself, but it seems like a month I'm not yet there, but I, I feel like I'm going to be there. I'm going to, I'm getting oh. there. Cause I've got the 12 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. I have one, so I'm honing a diamond. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, this mm-hmm, is my mm-hmm. precious jewel. I, I think if I yeah. had
1: four kids, I'd be like, whatever, I'm leaving for my- a <laughs> month. It's true. It's true. Like once- there's more of them that you're just kind of like, all right, like I need to do this, <laughs> Yeah, but as a parent, you're kind
0: of a butler. And so mm-hmm. you almost need to be taken out of your life to focus in in, in little sure. bursts that can really sure. help move things along. You-
1: you're very custodial. Like I am very custodial. I say this, I'm very custodial to my practice. And I go when I, when I'm working on a body of work, it's like, it's kind of going stepping stone right now. And you're kind of moving from one thing to the next. You don't feel like you have to like pour it all out, Mm -hmm. but then it starts to kind of pick up a rhythm where you're like oh all right like these are moving more into paintings or they're more layered and I don't really understand what's happening anymore so you're kind of mushing it together into a painting and then finally the birthing of the thing is starting to happen and you're just like I'm gonna be here for five days you need time yeah you
0: just need time to give (laughs) over you give over to it and like live on coffee and starbursts
1: yeah and then to have a partner I'm very lucky. I have a lot to give thanks for in my my life, but I have a wonderful partner and an extremely supportive partner. And he believes in me like more than I believe in myself at times. So like he'll just be like, when I'm feeling pain, I'm just like, I can't go on. I can't do this. This is ridiculous. He'll just be like, Goodbye. Here's your lunch. I'll see you. And like Uh, kind of sends me off. And because you guys have been
0: through the ringer. I mean.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he's we've known each other for a very long time. So, he's seen all the phases. He he went through grad school with me. And so like like that was the beginning of that process of oh, when you're in grad school, I think you start to realize like you can easily pull 12-hour days in your studio or you have to be at certain places to make your work and your partners kind of like wow you're really gone. And so that is part of our relationship. It's it's built into my relationship with him and my family. And that's because they they value it. And I, I, I can't be more thankful for that. That's really wonderful. That's really yeah. wonderful.
0: Um, well, thank you so much for that. And where can listeners find you online if they want to see
1: more of your work? Okay. So I have a website and that's melissacapasso.com. And I have an Instagram That's a mix, like I wish I could be so focused on my art, but occasionally my children pop up on there. I like that better. (laughs) I, it's my life. It's just my, what am I going to do? And I love to No one wants to see like a
0: cold portfolio.
1: I, I, I just love photographing too. So like, I look at Instagram, like the old fashioned way. Like unfortunately, i I like that era where it was everything about your life and art, your your eyes. I miss it. I miss it. Um, So yeah, melissa.capasso is my Instagram.
0: At melissa.capasso. And I'll link these in the show description for our listeners. And then I'll just say thank you so much for talking to me. I love everything you had to say. I appreciate you um, taking time away from everybody and your work to come talk to me. Thank you so much, Melissa. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you
1: so much, Amy. Thank you.
0: Okay, I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Pep Talks for Artists. A very special thank you to artist Melissa Capasso for joining me to talk about her work and process. You can see more images of her work at her website at melissacapasso.com or her Instagram at melissa.capasso. And you can connect with me and the podcast on Instagram at Pep Talks for Artists. Please follow me there to see extra images that go with each episode, including this one. Thanks always for your ratings and reviews. I really appreciate you stopping by, and I'll see you next time.
1: frogs, so begin the work.